timing is everything, right? And it's all about the ecosystem being there. I mean, the things that we're at this stage, we're like eight weeks into launch. We're still very much learning. So we're looking mostly at engagement rather than growth. We haven't run any traffic to it. We haven't. This is actually the very first podcast, the first publicity that that I've been doing about the product. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Peter Sisson. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Iaza. Prior to that, in April 2001, he had founded a company called Wine Shopper, raised $46 bucks from Kleiner Perkins, and was acquired by Wine.com in 2000. He then went on to found Mixonic in 2004, Telio in 2005, another company called Line2 in 2012, before getting involved with an entrepreneur residence at Startout Growth Lab, and then eventually founding Iaza in 2018. We're going to focus on that today. Peter, you ready to take us to the top? I am indeed. All right. So you were like the original, you were like the original Gary V. You just sold too early. <laughs> well, I, you, I, you know, it's always a decision that involves more than just yourself, unfortunately. And, and when you're investors and you might not always be exactly aligned on timing, you've got to kind of deal with it. Understand that. All right. So talk to us about Yaza. What's the company doing? Is it B2C or B2B? It's uh, it's B2C. I mean, in its most basic form, it's it puts authenticated videos onto maps. And so, I mean, the best way to think about that is is right now when you post, uh, you know, memories or what have you onto Facebook or Instagram, they go into a feed and scroll away. What we do is we record the video live and place it on the map where it happened and in a sense authenticate it to make sure that it hasn't been uh, faked or defaked or altered in any way. And the idea is to create a place where you know that everything you see is true. Yep. So is the play long term here for reporters when the next rocket hits the Israeli embassy and local people shoot video, they come to your site and find authenticated videos quickly to use for PR? Or is this more like consumers wanting to share their trip in the mountains with their family? I think both. I mean, what I mean, think of it more like uh, all video WhatsApp with maps. So like WhatsApp, you couldn't really say it's for a particular group. Uh, it's really whoever resonates with the video aspect and the mapping aspect. Both the examples that you give are, are perfect. And where we're actually finding a lot of resonance right now is with realtors, because you can place these videos at individual properties. And what they're doing is they're doing house tours 
uh, and recording themselves doing the house tours so they can put their personality into it. They can talk about potential. And then that house tour lives at that house. And then their customers can do a lot of the touring virtually, in a sense, without them actually having to get in their car and drive there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, I mean, the way that I do this currently is you go on Snapchat and there's videos that are plotted based off location with a big heat map. So, you know, there's videos available. How is this different from that? Well, the biggest difference is that it's not ephemeral. I mean, Snap's, you know, original value proposition is that everything goes away. And that was part of how it started. And and I don't think they can ever violate that core value prop because it's really a place you go to hang with your closest friends. Um, each of the social networks kind of lives in a, in a, along a spectrum, right? And, and Snap didn't eliminate Facebook and Facebook, you know, didn't eliminate Twitter or whatever. I mean, all of these things coexist because they each kind of reflect a different aspect of human behavior, a different reason. I mean, if you want to be jaded and snarky, you go on Twitter. If you want to sort of showboat a little bit, I guess people tend to go on Facebook Instagram is a little more for visual expression. Snap is really about, you know, it's really about connecting with your closest friends. It's not really, you know, broad social broadcast type of app. And there used to be Foursquare. There used to be something that was location based that was very much less about the person, but more about the place. And that's what we are. We're a a location based social network. And with Foursquare having exited this consumer space more or less, and focusing on becoming a SaaS player, um, that's kind of left that door open for us. Well, but the thing is like they did that for a reason uh, is because the B2C play was just not working. They just, it wasn't getting the traction they needed. So, and now obviously Jeff and the, that team is, is killing it on the on the B2B side, being the alternative to Google Google in terms of a, a, a map API. Um, but, but for you, I mean, I guess, how, how are you measuring success on this thing? Is it number of videos per month or per day or number of user signups? What, what's the critical metric right now? Yeah, and and to respond to your prior point, timing is everything, right? And it's all about the ecosystem being there. I mean, the things that we're, at this stage, we're like eight weeks into launch. We're still very much learning. So we're looking mostly at engagement rather than growth. We haven't run any traffic to it. We haven't. This is actually the very first podcast, the first publicity that that I've been doing about the product. And so what we're looking for is engagement, because if you can find a pocket of of ravenous users, people that use it every day, um, those are the people you want to study and then find more like them. And, you know, out of our beta, about a third of our customers, and we're still talking about low numbers here. Yeah. How, how low are we talking like 10 or like a hundred or a thousand or no, it, less than a thousand, but okay. you know, in the hundreds, yep. basically, um, you know, about a third emerged as daily active users. Um, and they're using it an average of four sessions a day. And that's, that's what you want to see. If you don't see any pocket of high users, um, then you start to worry yep. and, but we've kind of found that now we're real, really just trying to figure out with our limited resources as a startup, where do we focus on positioning this and how much, you know, we can't really just let users figure it out. We kind of have to walk them there because there is a little bit of behavioral change involved. Okay. I mean, that, that sounds to me like a lot of friction on a B2C app. You can't afford to put touch on every single install, right? So why can't you solve the onboarding problem via the product UI? I think we can in the long run. I, I think, one of the things we're considering doing is having the problem we have now is if you 
if you have no content on the app, which you won't, um, there's a ghost town problem. So we've created a Yaza channel, which is where we put in content that we sort of feature. But um, one of the things we're going to try next is actually having it sync your camera roll videos into Yaza's mapping system and then also Ooh, run it. That would be dangerous for me. No, no, no way would I ever push that button. Well, the one thing, you know, the thing about Yaza that's safe is that everything is is tightly controlled down to every piece of content. You can pop up a list to see exactly who can see it. But I have thousands can, of like little videos on my phone from all kinds of things. Some I'd want everyone to see. Well, to discover them as you're walking around the world. The problem is maybe there's one or two videos. I just would not. It's, it would not be a good thing for people to see, right? And I wouldn't want to have to scroll through thousands to pick like which one's yes or no. I either want them like one button all on or just I'm not going to do it at all to, to avoid the risk. I mean, I, th- I feel like that's something that most consumers would, they'd feel that same pressure. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. That, but when they're imported, they're only visible to you. And so it's really just moving that all those big files off of your phone and into the cloud. And then we'll keep an eye on them for you. We'll run them through an image classifier. So we'll be able to tell you exactly what's in them. So you can search for those moments based on the silly stuff that maybe you did. Uh, because the image classifier looks not just for you know objects to recognize, but also certain actions, like human actions. So, I mean... In the end, the whole problem in, in, in our mind is that video is just cumbersome and difficult to use. And much like you said, it just sits there. Nobody's really using it because it's buried in your phone and you can't find it through search. And it's not put into an interface that's natural with you to interact with it. But I mean, and I can. I do that right interact- now. On my, I do that right now on my phone, though. I open up my camera roll and I go to the location based like I do, I do this all the time when I'm like, I know I took this thing at the Dallas airport, but I don't right. remember when it was. I don't want to scroll forever. So I open the map view. I click Dallas and boom, I find it very quickly. Again, I just don't see how this is. I'm trying to figure out what use case you're trying to go after. you like, what mousetrap you think you're delivering that no one else has? Well, the first and foremost is the fact that we can guarantee the content is authentic. I mean, the only way you're going to, if you're trying to, I mean, deep fakes are a huge problem, right? And it's getting harder and harder to tell what video is real and what is not, right? But Peter, that's only and, if like news outlets want to, like I know all the things on my phone are real. I oh, don't need- that's going to affect elections. We've already seen it affect elections. And we're going to see it get worse. It's only, so <clears throat> the the security issue and the, the preventing fakes issue is a problem that is going to be 10 times bigger in five years. And we're sort of, we're, we're planning for that. We're saying there will need to be a place where the content, you have total control over the content. It's in the stewardship of a public benefit corporation, which is what we set up the company as so that we have an obligation to protect your privacy and, and not monetize it in certain ways. And it's going to be a place where you know that everything you see is true. And so that's kind of the idea is that there needs to be a place where you know that it's not going to replace these other services, but there needs to be a place where you know that something is true and in the stewardship of a company that you can trust. Because I, I don't want all my video memories to be left in the hands of advertising platforms. And that's basically where we're at now, either that or they just sit on your phone. So just to be clear though, Peter, like accurate videos are critical and any kind of like consumer stream where I can see 
everyone else's stuff, like a Facebook newsfeed or Instagram feed. I want to know what's what's real or what's faked. I get that use case. I also get the use case that reporters reporting on a real-time story, right, want to know if this user-generated content from someone there on the scene is a real thing or a fake thing. I get that use case. Neither of those use cases are, are cases you told me earlier on that you want them to be used for, right? You didn't tell me that you're going to basically give reporters access to this so they can find things to you know use in press reports. And you didn't tell me that I'm going to be able to see a feed of everyone else on Yaza and all their content. You said it's right. for me personally to look at. So one's like yeah, a B2B play. Like a WhatsApp messenger. Think of it as like a messenger. It's, 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 a, it's a communications app. Yes. Okay. So if it's so, a WhatsApp messenger play though, I know everything I'm sending is real. And if I'm texting my mom on WhatsApp, I also, she has no incentive to send me deep fakes. Like that's the truth question is not a question. I ask in a medium like WhatsApp. It's when I ask in a medium like a Facebook newsfeed. Sure. No, I understand that. But there has to be a place where you can exchange files where you know that they're accurate, whether you're exchanging them with a reporter, whether you're exchanging them with a, a, a you're shopping for real estate in Italy and you, you don't have time to, to go there. Is that um, the use case really? It's it's a real estate use case. I get I get how all this makes sense. If it's a consumer trying to, I'm trying to find a place in New York right now, looking at videos on in New York, I know they're real videos. They're not shopped. They're not doctored with some fancy CAD program. They're real things from a little realtor posted. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I mean, that's what the market's kind of telling us. I mean, we do, I do believe that some of these other use cases will, will rise up as customers get introduced, but real estate is where it's just everyone we talk to is like, I, I can see. use this both on the buyer side and on the seller. So how do you plan to make money on this thing? Uh, we'll do subscriptions. I mean, uh, for people who have a lot of video uh, and they want the advanced camera, just think of it as like Dropbox model. We'll charge, you know, five, seven dollars a month for extra memory. And then you'll get a, a more powerful camera for editing and, and stuff like that. And then in the long term, I think there's a lot of analytics uh, in a dashboard that we'll build so that on an opt-in basis, a realtor or whoever's looking at will be able to say, okay, this many people looked at the video at this house, this many people looked at that and sort of get a sense of what's resonating with people and sort of bring a lot of the online dynamics to the offline world and sort of measuring foot traffic and things like that. You've raised some capital to get this thing going. How much have you raised? Uh, Just a tiny bit right now. We've are with $150,000 in pre-seed money that we closed last year. Okay, so $150,000. And when when did you start writing the first line of code for this? Uh, for this particular iteration, uh, a little over a year ago. What about for the whole business? Well, we, I mean, we've been kicking around a lot of things ever since Pokemon Go came out. I was, I was thinking, you know, I studied AI at Stanford and I really, really was interested in, in our augmented reality. And... You know, with Pokemon Go, I thought it really had tipped in the mainstream and we were going to see more investment and funding in, you know, other applications of of AR. But we built an alpha app for AR. And what year was that? That was uh, the fall of the same year as Pokemon Go. So 2016-ish. Okay, so you you created Uh, this company back in 2016 and you raised some seed money 2018 and kind of been toying around with different different ways to get into the space basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was basically built an app and then tested, you know, how accurate can we do augmented reality? Can we stick it to the side of buildings? Because we didn't want to do indoors. We want to do outdoor augmented reality, which is more challenging. Mostly we'd learned that, 
the ecosystem isn't there yet. With GPS and the other ways to position it, you just can't put it accurately enough. So, Peter, I and assume you're pre- and, and you're pre-revenue today, I assume, right? Oh, yeah. So, so how are you? I mean, you, you, you've been working since 2016. You only raised 150 grand. So, I mean, how are you paying yourself, your team, et cetera? How, do you, how are you buying yourself more time? So everybody has kept their day jobs uh, except me. But for the most, you know, I've been doing volunteer work, uh, working on building an incubator for uh, minority founders, which I worked on. But, you know, I think a new kind of bootstrapping is really coming out of this side gigging and, and side hustle trend. And so a lot of, you know, all of our, our people, there's four of us involved. The three of them have full-time day jobs and then they work on this nights and weekends. And that gives us infinite runway to allowed us to experiment with some of these different technologies before we started taking money from people. Yeah. I mean, it does get an infinite runway, but the, the flip side to that is th- like they, they have, in other words, if you quit your full-time gig and you have to make a startup work, you're going to make it work because your food on your table and your kids and your wife and your spouse depends on it. Right. Uh, if you have a full-time gig on the side, it's like, Oh, like Peter put this thing in Trello. He really wants me to develop this new thing for Yaza, but like, I'm tired after my full-time gig. Like I don't have time to develop this thing. So it's hard to, how do you motivate a team, right? That's not on your payroll that has full-time, you know, all full-time gigs. You have to pick the right team, right? You have to find people who are as passionate about it as you are and who will work for stock. Um, And that's something I've been able to do with all my companies, just managing to find the right people and sell the right vision to get people excited. Um, You know, once you get to the space where you're raising like a series A or a larger seed round, then, of course, we'll bring people over. Um, and that that after we close our next financing, uh, that's probably what are you raising now? Yeah, we're just uh, uh, kicking around like a, uh, a seed. So that was pre-seed technically now that we're launched, but really pre major traction. Yeah, uh, we'll probably do a seed round and trying to figure out whether we do a small one or a bigger one. So somewhere between half a million and maybe uh, two million uh, we're looking at. But I think we'll probably do a smaller raise now, uh, get a little more traction to get the value up a little bit and then raise the rest after that. Very good. We'll, we'll follow along closely, Peter. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, actually, it was not a business book, but it's a, a, about leadership. It's the story of uh, Ernest Shackleton and his expedition to the South and how he kept his men motivated when they were stuck on ice for more than a year. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, <clears throat> right now, uh, I, I always, you know, my hero has always been Steve Jobs. So I'll just say following him in his rest. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company? Um, Slack. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? Uh, four to six. Okay, fair enough. And uh, uh, how old are you today? Today, I am 57. 57. Older entrepreneurs. And I, this is a prime of 50s, 40s, 50s prime and a lot of entrepreneurs I talk to. So nothing wrong with that. Um, last question here. Take us back to your 20-year-old self. What do you wish you knew? Um how to see the future. <laughs> Fair enough, guys. Peter Cision building Yaza, a video application right now of real estate agents are using it to post videos a real time and authenticated from you know their listing so that buyers from around the world can see that listing and know that the video is real. He sees a bigger play in the deep 
uh, <laughs> excuse me, deep fake space and video validation space coming from success back in 2001 when he sold his company Wine Shopper to Wine.com, Mixonic, worked on many other tools, including supporting the Startout Growth Lab. Peter, thank you for taking us to the top. My pleasure.